0: Are you in Mark chapter 11? I was reading a book by Pastor Jim Cimbala. I don't know if, you, if you've uh, heard of that name, but he is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And this is a man who, when he came into ministry, did not have a lot of experience uh, in fact, he was just being obedient and surrendered to God. And God was using, uh, began using him and gave him a burden in a region, in a place where not a lot of people wanted to go. A lot of the folks that, that was, were attending the church when he first started didn't like the region that they were. The demographics of the people and the craziness of what was going on around them. And the reality is that in that region of Brooklyn where the tabernacle is, there's a lot of street people there's a lot of brokenness there's a lot of people who are chained and bound and there was a story of a lady in his in the book that she she talks about how she lived in an apartment right by the church and she was so lost and so bound her life was just one mistake after the other and she had gone through so many different things and she was given over to addiction She was consumed by drugs, and she lived with, you know, one bad relationship after another. And she would hear, you know, from her uh, apartment, the worship that was going on in the church, and she would hear all these songs about this chain-breaking Jesus. And yet, she would not dare to darken the door of that church with her shadow. And she would hear those songs and sometimes she would, in her anguish, just cry out to God when she was alone. Or, or, or just cry out, not to God, but cry out and, and just in the, the midst of her pain and her sorrow. But yet she wouldn't go into that church. She moved away and for some reason, you know what, God had a plan in her life, obviously. It's not for some reason because God's got a plan for everybody. But when she moved away one day, she's in her apartment, and all of a sudden, she starts hearing those same songs that she would hear across the way in her former apartment. So she came across the the person who lived above her, who was the person that would end up singing these songs. And she was she asked them one time, like, "How how come you sing those songs? Like, what, what's going on in your house?" She's like, "Well, you know what? I I I I work in here, and I do that, and." Uh, But I go to church and I I sing on my choir, my church's choir. And so when I'm at home and sometimes even in my shower, I just I just practice the songs that I'm going to sing in church. Oh, yeah. What church are you from? I'm from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And this woman says, I can't understand this. I left that apartment, but it seems like this church keeps following me. Well, it's a beautiful story that you need to read the book and find out more info, but let me just tell you the spoiler. This lady who was lost and broken after several relationships and, and she, she, she spent some time being sobered and, and some time uh, you know stepped away from drugs and she called out to family and family came and reached out to her and helped her. but then she got back into it and, and she, she relapsed into drugs. Uh, she came to a place where she, she was a little bit more uh, self-respecting and she came into another relationship while this other person, although he did not do drugs, he was selling drugs and, and lo and behold, soon enough she fell back into to it and when that relationship finally dawned on her that he wanted nothing but to use and abuse her she ran to the place that she couldn't run away from and she found herself one day at the altar at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and she cried out to God and she wanted the God that she heard in the songs and she submitted her life to Jesus And that lady who submitted her life to Jesus, who found him to come into her life and flood her life and break the chains and the powers of every single thing that held her back, this woman was so changed, so transformed. She goes on to be one of an incredible witness in that church, running a ministry that so loves the street people of New York. And God used her to make a difference in that community. It's a beautiful story. I haven't done it justice. I invite you go read the book "Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire," and may God stretch you as He shows you His power in setting people free. I believe that as we step into the Holy Week, that God wants to set people free. Today is a day that we call Palm Sunday. And as I was contemplating this week and this day, and Lord, what is it that you would have me share with the church? And this uh, this story in Mark chapter 11 just kept jumping back at me, and God says, I want you to focus right here. And I want to speak to you today under this title, it's time for your untying. It's time for your untying. I want you to open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 11, let's begin in verse 1. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany. And on the mountain of olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what are you doing? Just say the Lord has need of it. The Lord needs it and we will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it some bystanders demanded, "Hey, what are you doing untying that colt?" They said that Jesus had told them what Jesus had told them what to say. And they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus. And threw their garments over it. And he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting. Praise God. Praise God. Blessings on The one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heavens. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us today. Lord, let us step into the time of our untying. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to bring some things to your attention as we're contemplating this day. A day that began with a mighty procession. A day that was supposed to be a triumphal entry. That's what your title and your Bible might say about this passage of Scripture. A day that we know will end in a very sad reality on Good Friday. But yet, it started off as a procession, a day of rejoicing. There is so much that God wants to speak to us here and we need to prepare our hearts to receive it. I want you to know that first and foremost, as we step into the story... I see myself in this story every time I read it. I get excited about the parade. I get excited about all the people praising the Lord and the praises that are are being given to His name, the fanfare and all the things that we can unpack and look into, the prophecies that are being fulfilled and the incredible moment that is right before us. There are some incredible things right here in the Scriptures. But I can't help it. Every time that I read this story, I am just so drawn to this donkey. I'm just so engaged by this donkey because I can't help it by by seeing myself as that donkey. Yeah, that's not the most, you know, edifying thing somebody can say. That's not the most, you know, victorious, I'm going to declare that I am bold and, and courageous, a stallion for Jesus. But I can just so relate to this little donkey. That every time I read this story, it's like the Lord just just, just grabs my heart. And so what can we learn from this passage? A couple things I want to bring to your attention today. The first of which is this. That God sees Even the most smallest of things. We serve a God. We serve a Lord that sees the most insignificant of things. He sees the smallest things. And he counts them important. Look at the text. Go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied there. You will find a colt over there. I find it incredible that as Jesus is drawing close to Jerusalem, he's on the Mount of Olives, he's talking to his disciples, he's got a plan, he's got an agenda, he knows everything that this week is going to entail. Everything he still wants to accomplish with his disciples. He's been with them for about three years. He's spoken to them, he's poured into them, he's, he's, he's taught them, he's commissioned them, he's doing all these things with his disciples. He still has a few things to share with them. And as they are going... He's like, we're right here in this village. We're right here on the Mount of Olives. But just just look over yonder. Just look over there in that village over there and that whole other town over there. Hey, by the way, when you guys enter into that town, I'm going to send two of you all. When you enter into that town, you're going to find a donkey tied there. And by the way, nobody's ever ridden on that donkey. He's just over there. I find it incredible that Jesus, standing on this village, knows what's going on in that village. And he can see that small little donkey that is right there by that street in the middle of the entrance. Jesus sees it. And then you go on, you read verse 4, and the disciples, completely unamused, without any question, without any revolt or or, or inquiry, no follow-up questions, they just get up and they go and They find it to be exactly as Jesus said. I find it incredible that there is no like, uh, wait, uh, Jesus. How do you know that there is a donkey on a street that no one's ridden over there in that city while we're standing all the way over here? It just intrigues me. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are like disciples. just like, okay, God, like, yeah, he's done so many things. Like maybe at this point they're like, yeah, but you saw Nathaniel sitting underneath the fig tree. And, and contemplating his life and, and, and frustrated and worried about this and that. And you spoke about him. You, 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 you Oftentimes, in the middle of the synagogue, when you're preaching and teaching, all of a sudden you say something that just is exactly what's on the minds of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so maybe they've seen this so many times that these guys are just like, yeah, okay. But I find it fascinating, nevertheless, that every time Jesus operates in this foreknowledge... That every time Jesus operates in this gifting of knowledge that the Holy Spirit just imparts upon him, that he knows what is happening even though he should not know with his natural eyes. It's incredible how much he's aware of. And friends, that should give us pause on two fronts. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this whatsoever that Jesus who's standing on this village knows about a donkey that's over there and the condition of that donkey I want you to understand that you might think you might be pulling the wool over his eyes but he is aware of everything Jesus is a is a lord who is aware of all He sees it all He knows it all He sees it so we thinking that we're pulling the wool over his eyes that we're getting away with something that he does not see reality flash. He knows it all. He knew about the cult in the whole other town. He knew precisely where to find it. He is over by the entrance. He knew exactly what the condition of that donkey was. He has never been ridden. He knows exactly what is going on with that cult. It's tied up. It's never ridden. It's by the entrance. He knows exactly everything. Detail. And he reveals all of this to them just as a matter of fact. A throwaway statement. An unchallenged statement. It's just the reality. This should give us pause in two directions. There is, number one, no hiding from God, it should sober us to the fact that there is nothing that we can conceal from him. If he was so very attentive to this simple little cult way over there, then you know what? He sees the little things that we deem insignificant. You know, he sees every little thing that we think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. That's not so much of importance. You know what? He sees that tiny little compromise you made on your taxes. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, he sees that off-collar joke that you said, oh, that's not a big deal. Just jest, just you know? We're just having a good time. It was no big deal. But he knows that. He sees every little thing that we do, and we think that, you know what, hey, all in all, pastor, I'm good. On the whole, I'm pretty good. It's just a little insignificant. That's no big deal. He sees it all, and all of it is significant in his eyes. He sees it all. When we think that, oh, this is no big deal, this is no nothing, Uh, too important let me just tell you friends we're not tricking the Lord he knows exactly but more importantly than that I don't bring this to you so that I can put you in fear of God and say oh he's watching me all the time trying to kill my joy and rob me of my my pleasure no that that's not what God is trying to do that is a thing that we can take solace in because if he sees every insignificant thing he can see every big thing as well he can see the things that most matter to us, the things that are most bothering us, the things that are you know, near and dear to us. He knows the small, he knows the big. But here's the cool things. That if he sees this small and significant donkey, then I want you to understand the reality that God wants us to be grateful and have gratitude in our hearts for even the little things in our lives. If he sees the small things, he's a God who shows us the small things are critical and important. The small things are actually something that you need to be aware of. On the other hand, it's incredible that the little things are the things that the Lord has done for us. We need to also be aware of these things and give Him praise. He's not just looking out for the big things, but he's looking out for the little things. And and, and some of us, we get so fixated on the giants that we bring before God, on the mountains that we want moved, on the problems that we have before him, and the big consolation things, and the big enormous things, and the impossibility things that are before us, that we lose sight of the little things that he's already done for us. You know, little things like keeping that heart of yours beating. You know, little things like, you know what? Thank you, God, for continuously filling my, uh, my air, my, ox- my lungs with oxygen. God, thank you for the little things where you did not allow my car that, that, that was all rusted up over 200,000 miles to break down with me on the highway while I'm driving my kids to daycare. Thank you, Jesus, that you kept me going, even though I don't know how that car kept going. Thank you, Jesus, for the little things that you continue to take care of the things that are important and dear things that I already have. Thank you, Lord, that you've kept my name some way, somehow on somebody's payroll list. Thank you, God, that you've done some of the little things in my life and you continue to do them day in and day out. And you're bringing me all of these things. Thank you, God, for the little things that you've given me another day to come home after school where some have not. Thank you, God, for the little things that I went to work today and I was able to come back home. Thank you, God, for the little things like I'm able to actually give a hug to a friend or kiss my parents and enjoy my children. Thank you, Lord, for the little things. Somebody needs to say, Lord, thank you for the little things. If we are just judging God and, 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 and evaluating God on the big things that he does in our lives, we are missing the mark because he has done so much for us. He saw the colt. He saw the little. He cares about the little. He cares about the few. He cares about what may be deemed as insignificant in our lives. God, thank you that you see the little things. When he told his disciples, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied there. I find it interesting That there is this reality that this cult has been held on purpose. This cult has been separated and set apart on purpose. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, God ties us up. He told the disciples, when you get to this little village, You're going to find a colt that's tied up. In other words, this donkey is being held. This donkey is restrained to this one place. Yes, he may take a step or two to the left or to the right. He might go a little bit, but he can't go too far. Why? Because there's a rope that is holding him down. He is restrained. He is held to this place. Sometimes we got to realize that God has tied us up for a reason. Sometimes we just think about this reality of being tied up and bound. And we just look at the negative side of it. And we look at the enemy trying to bind us up and and keep us uh, locked up and, and, and stored in one space. And not moving and not growing and not expanding. But yet there's this reality that God has a way of holding back his people for a purpose. The reality is that when God has a plan for your life, he will tie you up when God has a plan for your life he will tie. maybe you're frustrated at the fact that you're not where you want to be maybe there's tensions in your life that you're grappling with because you have been stuck in a spot and you're not moving where you want to move or or doing what you want to do I remember when I was younger I used to get so frustrated at the fact that I didn't fit in I used to get so frustrated at the fact that I wasn't going like all of my friends. They were just going around sinning like it was nobody's business and they were enjoying it and having a great time. And I would try to fit in with them and I just could not shake this thing called conviction. See, my mom raised me up in church and she kept telling me the words of God and she kept burying this word within my heart. And as much as I did not want to hear it sometimes, that word would jump out and grab hold of me when I wanted to go with my friends. I remember, mom, if you're in the service today, please close your ears. I remember one night I went to a friend's house and there was drinking going on. And I remember that everybody's having a good time. And I'm like, in my heart, uh, I shouldn't be here. But man, I want to be here. And I want to hang out with these friends. And uh, yeah, I hope my mom doesn't know I'm here. And I'm just in that space. And uh, eventually, the, the pressure got to me. And I started drinking with them. And I drank and I drank and I drank so much that I ended up wrapping myself around the porcelain throne. And I was hurling everything. and while my friends are there having a good time and they're like oh everything's good and and they're all enjoying their drinks and all that stuff I could be heard in the bathroom saying God forgive me Lord I'm sorry this is not who I am this is not who you called me to be I'm sorry I'm not living the way you've called me to live and my friends are like man you were really passionate in that bathroom I just could not shake it. See, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. I wanted to be able to sin and enjoy it. But God had put something within me. And he says, you're called to be set apart. You are not called to be like them. Church, here is the problem. So many of us are living our lives and we are trying to influence the world. But you will never influence the world if you're trying to be like it. We are never going to make a difference in this world if we are just exactly like it. We are called to be different. That's why Deuteronomy 14 says, You have been set apart as a whole, as holy to the Lord, your God. He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. Okay, pastor, but that's talking about Israel. And I'm not Jewish. I'm not an Israelite. So that's not me. Okay. Well, then go to first Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are not like that at all for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When God has a plan in your life, he will tie you up and not allow you To be just like everybody else. To not go around and do what everybody else is doing. To just go with the crowd and be loose and be free to move around the country and move about the cabin. And do everything and anything that your heart desires. But he wants you to be set apart for something different. You know that you should praise God when he's tying you up. Because God is reserving you for something greater. Can somebody say, God, I thank you that you tied me up. I thank you that you set me apart. You know, when you think about how, when, how some of your friends have turned up, the, the, the friends that you used to run with, remember some of them? Can you just stop and thank God right now and say, Lord, I thank you that I am not like my friends at this moment. It's not that we're trying to be better than somebody else and lord it over people and saying, I thank God I'm not like this sinner or that sinner. No, but God, thank you that while all my friends were loose and doing everything and going about every sin and, and, and ch- tasting everything that their heart contented with, you chose to reserve me and put conviction in my heart and you kept me, you kept me separated. You did not allow me to come with Thank you, God. that you did not allow me to go through with that relationship. Hello. Some of us need to just say, God, thank you that you tied me up. You wanted to marry that guy, but look at where that guy is right now. You wanted to marry that lady, but look where her life has brought her today. Oh, God, thank you that you didn't let me. When I look at my kids, I say, God, thank you that you tied me up and did not let those relationships flourish. When I can hold my daughter and I can throw my son up in the air and I can just listen in the car when he says, Daddy, I love you. I just look at him and say, oh, God, thank you for tying me up and not letting me make a mess of my life in that relationship, in this relationship. When my passions and my emotions and my hormones were running wild. Thank you for tying me up, Lord. Thank you for tying me up. See, some of you got to just look around. And start rejoicing to God because he has a plan in your life. And you're not where you want to be or do. But maybe it's because he is reserving you for a different purpose. He's got a different plan for your life. That he wants to bring about in the right time, in the right season. He has a a job for you to fulfill. And people for you to reach. That if you just go and do the things the way you want to do it. If you just pursue that job and, and, and that business in your unfettered ambition. Maybe it's going to derail you from the ministry and calling that God has for you. God, thank you for tying me up. Now he said to him, Go. Mark chapter 11, still around verse 2. Go into the village opposite to you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has sat. Then he gives them the command, loose it and bring it. See, while God might tie us up because he has a plan and a purpose, when he sends for us the rope that he has put upon us to set us apart and keep us holy is not always the only rope that he will find us in. The reality is when God sends for us, when the king sends for us, We're not just tethered, but we're all tangled up in ropes of our own devices, in our own choosing. Proverbs 5.22 says that an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Lord have mercy. See, some of us, when the king sends for us and he finds us, He's not only separated us for a purpose and a time, and now he says, I want to use you for that purpose. I want to bring you forth to that time. He wants to use us, but then we are stuck and we're bound by the sins that have so easily ensnared us. Some of us are bound with ropes of addictions and bondage. We're stuck there. When the king sends for us, we're stuck under addictions and compulsions, whether it's alcohol or drugs, cigarette uh, addictions, or compulsive behaviors and and substance abuse or gambling or whatever it may be, these destructive behaviors and compulsions that just hold us captive. We want to move forward. We want to break out of the cycle. We want to say, God, release me. Let me just enjoy my family. Let me be of sober mind. Let me just be in control of my heart, my life. Let me be flourishing. and and thriving in this community and, and in this time. God, I want to break free from this, but we're stuck in the ropes of our compulsions and addictions. Some of us want to move so far forward, but we're tainted, not knowing that that sin that we grabbed hold of has so easily corrupted us and now it holds us captive. And sin is a terrible master. It's a terrible master. It makes slaves of us all. It entices us and says it's fine and it's good, but then it makes slaves and mockery of us all. Some of us, when the master sends for us, we're stuck not just in addictions and compulsions, but some of us are so tangled up in the ropes of feeling negative thoughts and emotions towards others. We're so bound up by these ropes. The master sends for us and we're tied up in Fractured relationships. We're tied up in estrangement. We're, we're tied up in intolerance towards our neighbor, in alienation towards our fellow man. We're tied up in separation. Self pride holds us as a mighty bond and it keeps us from saying, Lord, forgive us. It holds us in the, the chains of jealousy and resentment, bitterness and unforgiveness. We're unable to say, I am sorry. We're unable to say, I forgive you. We are stuck. Under these emotions against others. It limits us. We want to move forward. God help me. God bless my business. Bless my family. God help me and move me. But yet all the while. There is a God who doesn't want to hear our prayers. Why? Because if you have an issue. When you realize your brother has an issue against you. Leave your offering. Run. Be reconciled. And then come back and worship me. We want to move forward. We want to experience God's grace and power, but we can't move forward. Why? Because not only our addictions hold us back, but our feeling and our animosity and our lack of love towards our neighbor holds us down. Some of us, when the master sends for us, we're tied down by our possessions. We're tied down by the cares of this world. That's why Jesus in the parable of the seeds and the soil, He says that some of it falls among the ground and then the thorns of life choke it up and entangle it and ensnare it. They're so consumed by the worries of the world and, and, and paying this bill and pursuing this, this goal and fulfilling this objective that we are so consumed by it, we do not allow the Master To have his way in us when he invites us forward. We're held down by our possessions. Held down by the stuff that should bring us comfort. And help us fulfill his mission. And be enjoyed as a good pleasure from God. For he gives us all these other things into our lives. But yet, we're so consumed by it. So much so that, that Jesus, when he called certain disciples to come follow him, he's, one of them says, hey, I just bought some fields. i got to go take care of this. I, I can't come after you now. Let me, let me take care of this and go see how it's all doing. Another one says, oh, I'm just, I can't follow after you right now, God, because you know what? There's, there's, there's family affairs and things that i got to take care of first, and, and, and while I do this, then, then maybe I can come to you. Jesus understands that the colt needed to be untied. Some of us, when the master sends for us, we're so consumed by a deep feeling of unworthiness. He comes to speak to us and call us forth to carry out his mission and fulfill his purpose, and yet we are so bound by feeling resigned, feeling apathetic, feeling depressive, feeling like we're not able to succeed, that we're not able to bring anything good of value, that we would never be able to to accomplish anything. We are so bound by this feeling of inadequacy, this feeling of of incredibility that we will never be believed, that we will never be worth it, that we can't ever be used, that we don't see ourselves. And God wants us to catch a glimpse of who he's called us to be. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I've called you by name. I have set apart good works for you to do ahead of time. You are the apple of my eye. I care for you. And yet we can't catch a glimpse of what he's called us to be. We are so bogged down by the chains and ropes of unworthiness that we just feel God will never accept us. He'll never use us. It compels us to stay exactly where we are and to not move despite the reality of who he sees us to be. But I find it incredible and I praise God that the one who sends for you is able to untie all of your chains. The one who sends for you has broken every rope. He has untangled the mess that we may have strapped on. he says, now the only rope that is upon you is the rope that I put to hold you apart and set you for this time. I have come to remove it and I invite you forward. Why? Because this is what the Lord says. He says in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. amen, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, somebody say amen that's our Lord Jesus, he shows up and where he does, every single chain has to be broken, every person has to come out from underneath the weight of the chain and the bondage that held them captive, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, but episode one, Mary of Magdalene meets Jesus Christ, and then when he speaks her name, it's like every single yoke and all the bondage of oppression every demon and every power just comes and breaks off of that woman and she steps forward and she just holds on to her master who's called her for such a time as this god is a god that breaks us free he wants to untie those that have been hung up by their own ropes and their own issues and now look with me verse 3 he says and if anyone says to you why are you doing this say the lord needs it I know I'm getting into dangerous territory here when I say this, but say to your neighbor, God needs you. Now say it so that you can hear about yourself. God needs me. I know I'm getting into strange territory, right? When we stop and think about God, the creator of all the universe, who didn't have to ask anybody for permission, who created everything out of nothing, who has everything within himself, who is fully contained and fully fulfilled, fully completed, to say that he needs you, oh man. He needs me, but God has so ordained it so that he decides to operate in this way. Maybe you hear me say that God needs you and the alarm bells are going off in your your mind. Maybe the words of Paul when he preached in Athens is coming to your heart. Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Maybe you're listening to me and you've read something of Tozer. And so you've, you've heard that Tozer talks about the attributes of God and where he says this. To admit the existence of a need in God is to admit incompleteness in the divine being. Incompleteness. How dare I say God needs me and therefore render him incomplete. Need is a creature word and cannot be spoken of the creator. God has a voluntary relation to everything he has made, but he has no necessary relation to anything outside of himself. Somebody say amen. His interest in his creatures arises from his sovereign good pleasure, not from any need those creatures can supply, nor from any completeness that they can bring to him who is complete in and of himself yet verse 3 still stands in my Bible. I don't know, is it in yours? It's in my Bible. When somebody asks, say the Lord needs it. When they challenge you, Oh, my God has come through. And I used to be bound by the chains of addiction. And I used to be bound by feelings of unworthiness. I used to be bound by the cares of this world. I used to be bound by my feelings and animosity towards my neighbor. And all of a sudden, the Lord of Lords came and he sent for me. The king said that I want to do something in your life. And they started shouting up, hey, what are you doing with him? Why are you calling her out? Why are you releasing the chains and the bonds and the fetters that are holding her down? Just say, my God needs me. I can't stay stuck here anymore. I can't be in this ground, in this muck, in this mire. I can't be wallowing in my filth. I can't be stuck in this bondage. I can't live this way anymore, for he has come and he wants to set me free. He's got a plan for me. He needs me to do something for him. Chapter 11, verse 3 stands there. Jesus needed this donkey. See, nobody would come to Jerusalem riding an animal. They were taught as they went to to, to Torah class and they went to synagogue that as you go and ascend onto Jerusalem, where the elevation, the sea level is, is a lot higher than sea level there, they ascend onto the holy mount. They come to the temple. They come to the place ascending the hill. Nobody would come mounted on any animal. They would come walking, they would ascend the hill of the Lord. Why? Because they were taught again and again as good little boys, as good little girls. They would hear it said at home that when you see a person coming, riding on a mount, that they are none other than the Messiah coming for them. Why? Because the words of Zechariah is ringing forth in their minds. It's ringing forth that they are going to see the Messiah come riding on a colt. That he will come in his hour as the king of kings as the one that is the root of, Je- of Jesse, the, the seed of David, and he will take up his place as rightful king. They are all ready. They are all aware. They know that this is happening. And so Jesus, preparing for the final week, getting ready for the, what he has truly come to do and fulfill, with his eyes set before him to Good Friday and the cross, he says, get me the donkey. Get it ready. Because I'm about to send a message. I'm going to come into the city and I'm going to declare who I am, king of kings, lord of lords. But I'm not coming riding in on a stallion. I'm coming in riding on a donkey a beast of burden. I'm coming riding in in an animal that shows that my kingship is a wholly different kind of kingship. That my kingdom is completely different. I did not come to be served but I came to serve to be a humble, meek and mild savior that is going to set people free. I come so that I can show them that I am going to lay down my life for them and that although they're going to try to interrupt the flow and try to bring this thing to to a finality and a finish I'm going to go through their plans and I'm going to fulfill that which God has ordained for me to fulfill and I need a donkey friends God needs you he needs me he needs the humble the meek the lowly in stature those who don't feel like they've got much to offer he needs you He needs those that the world has rejected. The cornerstone, the the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, talking about Jesus. He needs the one that people have rejected. He invites them into his plan. Say, God needs me. God needs me. I find it beautiful that when a jeweler wants to display the beauty of his jewels, Wants to display the radiance of a of a diamond, for instance, that he will take often that diamond and he will put it against a backdrop of a black felt, uh, of a black fabric that is dark, where the contrast can be so. Evident. I don't know, Lonnie, do you got those tricks in your store? That you will put on all the brightest of lights within that store so that every single facet of that diamond can just shine out and bring forth glory for the, for the beauty that is within that jewel. I find it incredible that when God chooses to use any instrument, He chooses those that are broken, those that are less than, those that are marred in muck and mire those who don't have it all together, those who have made a mess of their lives, so that he can go and put the backdrop as dark as possible, and then he can say, look what my power has done, look what my chain breaking power can do, look who I am, that I chose the lowly things of this earth, so I could confound the wise things of man and mankind, I can use what is broken and lost and bring something beautiful, why else would he take a man with murderous intent like Simon the zealot, and call him to be a disciple and make him into a man of grace. Why else would he take John and James, the ones who were dubbed the sons of thunder? Why? Because these men were so ready to bring judgment and tear people apart and bring down fire from heaven on those who were not lined up to the word of God, that God would take such men out of the darkness of their lives and turn them into promoters of love. How is it that he can take a Peter, Who so denied him and turned him into the man who became the centerpiece after the loss of Jesus Christ. Not the loss, but the ascension when the church was established. Peter became the eldest the in command, the one in charge that so many of the disciples looked up to. Jesus takes the brokenness, the rejection, the loneliness, the ones who don't have formal education, the ones who don't have it all together, and he uses them to fulfill his plan. Why else would he take an oppressive, Roman-sympathizing, tax-collecting Jewish man who is there in contrast to all of his compatriots, who is serving the very masters that they want freedom from, who is benefiting himself and lining his own pockets, how can he take such a person and say, I want you to be one of my gospel writers? You tax-collecting Levi, whom I call Matthew, I'm calling you. Church, God is in the business of calling those who are broken, who are lowly, who are lost, and he wants them. He needs them. Why? Because God has a plan and a purpose to fulfill his kingdom, and his good pleasure determines it's so. He chooses to use all of these men in their unique ways, with their unique characteristics with their unique personalities with their own dispositions and ticks. again if you've watched the chosen just look at matthew for instance compulsive obsessive doesn't fit in i found it interesting that they put a spin like that on him i don't know how much of that is just you know obviously they're taking creative license but but yet imagine the fact that jesus called both matthew a tax collector and simon the zealot who wants to go and kill romans And he takes both and says, both of you together are my disciples. Both of you have something to contribute. Both of you need to play nice with each other and be used by God. Because both of you will accomplish my purposes and bring forth my presence as a parade into this region and community. God uses them. Friends, I want you to stand with me. And I want you to realize that on this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the beginning of Holy Week, that God has a plan and a purpose, that he is a God that sees all things, the consequential and significant to the things we deem inconsequential and insignificant. We're not getting away with anything. God sees all and that He's called us. He cares for the little things. We need to praise Him for the little things. Some of us need to start giving God a praise and start declaring to Him thanksgiving because of the smallness of things in our lives that He has been faithful in and He has not relented. We need to start realigning our hearts to be grateful for him. Some of us need to come to him and say, Lord, I thank you that you have set me apart for such a time. That you have not allowed me to run wild. That you have not allowed me to have every desire of my heart in the timing that I wanted it. Why? Because God, you have a better plan. You have something greater reserved. And if I had just gone forth, if I had been free to move about the cabin and fulfill my own wills and whims, then I would have messed up the plans that you had for me. I would have derailed myself and unqualified myself from the blessing that I now enjoy in the ministry that you're calling me to. Friends, I want you to understand that God is a God that breaks chains and break yokes. And he is asking us to this very day, what is it that's tying you down? I want you to contemplate this with me today on this Palm Sunday. God wants to use us not because he needs us. He is complete, but because he chooses to use us in his good pleasure, because each and every one of us brings something unique to his kingdom. Each and every one of us have something important for his purposes each and every one of us are able to reach somebody that the other one of us here is not able to reach or fulfill. We can bring God glory and grace through the brokenness of our lives and the the issues of our heart. He can change us around and he wants to use us for his plan. See, the reality is that when Jesus sat on that donkey, he rode that little donkey into its destiny. Some of us need to say, Jesus... Here I am. I want to take this ride with you. Here I am, Jesus. I want to ride with you. Yes. God, I want to step out of my chains and out of where I've been held. And I want to step into my purpose into my calling. Jesus, I want you to break forth in my life. Because, friend, God wants to come in and bring a parade into your home. He's just waiting for you to say, Lord, here I am, ride right on me. Holy Spirit, come upon me, fill me up, use me, because He wants to break free in a parade and a procession triumphantly into your marriage. He wants to break free triumphantly into your children's lives. He wants to break free and bring his parade into your workplace. Jesus is seeing your neighbor that is lost and broken and stuck in the bondages of alcoholism and drugs. And he wants to bring a parade into their home. Jesus says, I want to use you. I need you. He wants to bring a parade into your state. Into your region. He wants to bring a parade into this world through his children who say, Lord, here I am, use me. He's already loosed up his own rope. He set you apart for such a time as this. He's aligned you to Celebration International Church that we may take this region by storm for his kingdom. That we may break forth the parade of God and his name and his glory. The acceptable year of the Lord. The favor of the Lord is here. He has brought us to bring captives uh, freedom to the captives and healing to those who are sick. He has set you apart for now with the message of the gospel. He just wants to know what else is holding you back. What else is holding you bound? What other lies are you listening to? What other issues are you putting before him? Today, he invites you to just release those to the cross. See, that donkey rode Jesus into the place of death. He had been to Jerusalem before, but this was the time that he was coming for his purpose. That donkey was never ridden by anybody else. And man, if I was the owner of that donkey, I would never allow that donkey to be ridden by anybody else. I would never allow that donkey to be sold to anyone else. But I would say to everybody and anyone that would hear it, this is the donkey that carried Jesus. This is the one who brought him in triumphantly into the city. This is the one that brought his presence into the place where it most needed to be. This is the vessel that God used. Friend, God wants to use you. He wants to allow you the opportunity and privilege to knowing and rejoicing that he has a plan and purpose for you, that he is going to honor that plan and purpose, and he's going to step forth in power in your life if you just surrender and yield to him. That donkey couldn't say to Jesus, I want to go this way or that way. It just went along in surrender to Jesus. So I ask you again, if you want Jesus to break you out of your chains, if you want him to press you forward into your purpose, to ride you into your destiny, that you need him to put his finger oh so heavy on the chains that are holding you back. I need you to run to these altars and spend some time with him saying, God, Break me free. Because you're not just doing it for you. God will bless you, yes. But He is doing it in spite of you for everyone that is beyond you. I need that. As a pastor, I need you to be unfettered. Jesus, the Master, needs you to be free. So there is no formal dismissal today. If you feel released, you can go. But I want those who are serious and those of you who feel like there has been something holding me back. There has been some sin holding me back. There has been some part of me that has not yielded to him. There is something that has not allowed me to step into my calling and my purpose. There is something that does not allow me to experience the joy of just being used by God and in his presence. And bringing the procession, the parade, the celebrations of God, the party of the Holy Spirit into every life that I come into. There is something holding me back. If that's you, you need to come to this altar right now. We got to pray. I've told you before, this altar is a place to die. This altar is a place where we lay it down and surrender to him. The hour demands it. This gospel must be preached around the world and then the end will come. We need to be open before him, yielded. We don't like talking about surrender because surrender has to release control. But yet, if we would just follow after our master, he would do something mighty within us and around us and in this time and this season. God, we need you to break the yokes of oppression. We need you to break the power of disease. We need you to break the power of death in the grave. God, we need you to minister and move upon lives. It's not gonna be my intellect or my words. But it's going to be your power and your might, God, that will do it. Jesus, have